we continue to follow along with our children and youth in their autumn church school curriculum of seeking justice together and caring for the vulnerable by reading from the Gospel of Matthew and hearing Jesus' last teaching to his disciples before heading to his execution. Let us open our ears, our minds, our imaginations, and our souls as we listen across time and space and seek to hear this story again for the first time. We read today from the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible. Jesus said to his disciples, when he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my parent. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom, it's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Now here's the hard part of the lesson. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, Get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes, sick and in prison and you never visited me. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? He will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom 
but the sheep to their eternal reward. For the good news of the Holy Spirit, thanks be to God. Will you please pray with me? Loving God, whether we came in today as a sheep or a goat or a dog or a cat or a bird or a bee, however we came this morning, you see us and know us. And we ask that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our Redeemer, and let the people, let the people, whenever I hear a passage like that from the Gospel of Matthew, I always hear at the end, and the goats will be herded into their eternal punishment, and I hear a bump, bump, bump. Matthew is very dramatic. First of all, I want to know how many of you are familiar with the story we just heard, yeah, a lot of us are familiar with it. If you're not, it's good you came today. Yesterday, I was talking to one of my secular Jewish neighbors who calls me the neighborhood rabbi, and I told him what I was preaching on, and he said, oh yeah, the sheep and the goats. Of course, I know the sheep and the goats. It is one of the well-known parables of our faith, and for good reason. And to be completely honest, I wasn't sure I had anything to say that could elaborate on it today, because it's pretty darn clear, right? I mean... It tells us when the end comes, God is going to separate us out like a shepherd separates goats and sheep. Today we, may say, we might say dogs and cats. Dog lovers, you know where the cats are going. Cat lovers, you can talk with me at coffee hour. The Bible is often not very clear, which is why we have so much dissension and difference of opinion across Christendom around the world. And it's why we come again and again to try to unpack these stories. But this story is pretty clear what's going to happen. And if we read it, it is both unsettling and possibly inspiring. I want to just note where this comes in the Gospel of Matthew. Kate said it in her introduction. This is the last lesson that, Matthew, that Jesus gives to his followers before he goes off to his execution. So we give it a certain kind of weight. And he precedes it with the story, the parable of the talents. Many of us know that story as well. Which basically the take home is if you have a gift from God, you need to invest in it and use it or it may be taken away from you. There are lots of ways to interpret it, but that's a basic takeaway. And right before that, 
There's a story about the wise and foolish virgins, the bridesmaids, waiting for the bridegroom, who is Christ, to come again. And they're supposed to keep their lamps trimmed and burning. That's where we get that wonderful spiritual we sing in Advent. For the time is coming nigh. These three stories are Jesus' way, in my opinion, of preparing his disciples. Soon I'm not going to be with you, and you're going to be upset and sad and mourning. Here are some things to hang on to. Be ready, use your gifts, and pay attention to people who need you. It's both unsettling and inspiring stuff. In many ways, this is like a professor giving the last lecture and saying, okay, if you want to know how to prepare for the final exam, here it is. Feed the hungry, help the thirsty, give clothing to those who need it. If people are sick in prison, visit them. If you have any questions, come and talk to me. Otherwise, I'll see you at your funeral. Good luck out there. As you also heard from Kate, we are following this passage because it's what our children and youth are studying out on the front lawn and in Memorial Park before worship. Because we consider it one of the pinnacles of our faith, one of the important stories and verses of our faith, particularly for any of us who find ourselves in the middle to the far left of American Protestantism. And as I know our congregation, we tend to look toward the far left of American Protestantism. Some of you know that a few years ago, I took a course in religion and politics with a Washington Post columnist. And he said there are basically two kinds of Christians in America. There are John 316 Christians, how many of you had to memorize John 3.16 as a kid? If you know, well, kind of, maybe. If you know it, say it with me in the King James Version, Bible drill, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but should have everlasting life, John 3.16. It is a beautiful verse, as I shared in the pastor's blog this week, one that roots us in the salvation, the grace, the forgiveness of God as we know it in Jesus Christ. It is a verse of personal piety, of comfort, of something that tells us we belong. It's an important verse. And then he said there are Matthew 25 Christians, those who believe, like James, who we heard from three weeks ago, that faith without works is dead. And if you want to know the ethical implications of your faith, do what it says in Matthew 25. Now, my teacher in that course kind of put those out as a binary choice, right? John 3.16 or Matthew 25. And I don't really believe it's the case in our faith. I believe it's all somewhere in between. Those are the poles in which we can live between. But you know, Matthew is a pretty binary thinker too. Matthew tells us this story, you're either a sheep or a goat, there's no in-between. Matthew tells us you're either a wheat, piece of a strand of wheat or a weed. You're either a wise or a foolish virgin, you're either good seed or bad seed. And perhaps that's how Matthew, as he was trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in his synagogue back in the first century, had to think of God. To my way of seeing things, and I imagine for some of you, the world is not quite so simple, not quite so cut and dried, that we all have to figure out our place in between those choices, that all of us are at the same time wise and foolish, 
We have our good impulses and our bad impulses. We are both saints and sinners, all mixed together within our own souls. One of the things I often realize about our culture, the one that you and I live in here in eastern Massachusetts in the United States of America in the 21st century, is that we tend to treat busyness as a virtue. I am so busy. I have got so much to do. I don't ever have enough time. Amy included it in her prayer today out on the lawn, and everybody raised their hand, almost everybody raised their hand, that they often feel overwhelmed by all they have to try to get done. Some of those things are within our choices. Some of them are not. Many of you have heard me talk about, either in meetings or in worship, that one of the big ahas for me in becoming a pastor is that ministry is about 90% administration. I tell our seminarians this, that that's not something you'll learn at Harvard Divinity School. It's important to remember that ministry is in the word administration. And that we go to lots and lots of meetings, lots of talking, particularly in a vibrant, wonderful parish like this one where we have lots of big ideas and ways we want to put them into place. It takes a lot of coordination, a lot of air traffic control. In addition to figuring out your budget and your aging old billion, uh, aging old billion that needs millions of dollars in repair, fending off potential lawsuits, hiring and firing employees, all these things they don't teach you in div school, you get to learn. And I am someone who likes to jam-pack my schedule, and I'm often running late and in a hurry to get to the next thing. And then every once in a while, I get stopped, like the couple living under our steeple right now, or someone who's having a really bad mental health day and is in dire straits or someone who's got a long story that they have given lots of other people, but today I'm the person they're going to give it to. And I'm often like, Jesus, I am so busy running your church. Why do you interrupt me like this? But of course, you know why Jesus is interrupting me. Because Jesus is saying, here's what's most important. Here's the whole reason we do ministry. Here's the whole reason we come to church. Here's the whole reason we try to have a house where we can think about what it means to live life authentically and to be our best selves and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus of Nazareth. Because Jesus has been sleeping under our steeple for a few months now, and I can't figure out how to find them someplace to stay warm in the winter. Jesus does wait in line for groceries here on Wednesday and Thursday afternoons wrapped around the block. Jesus does come to our thrift shop, sometimes just looking for a good bargain, but sometimes actually needing clothes they can't afford. Jesus walks through these doors every Sunday, if we're paying attention. About a year or a year and a half ago, I started trying something that I wish I'd tried a lot longer Go. It's not a new idea to me. But I decided to go over to Dunkin' Donuts and buy about $100 worth of gift cards in $10 denominations. And I've renewed it a few times since then, and I keep them in my backpack, in my wallet, in the car. I mostly give them away at intersections to people who are asking for some help. 
And because of the pandemic, we weren't giving out the $25 stop and shop cards because our building was partially closed. I included those as well. And I have to tell you, it's been an education to me in giving out these cards. Because some people are like, wow, $10 at Dunkin's or $25 at Stop and Shop. Some people are like, what is this? One person wanted to know if he could trade it in for cash at Stop and Shop. I said, go talk to them. I don't know about that. <laughs> some people are confused. Some people want to hug me. Perhaps even more of an education is what happens in myself, which is I want to give myself a little pat on the back for doing that. I want to check off on my list that I got a hungry person today. It also shows me that I'm a little reluctant. I'm a little reluctant to get too involved because part of the reason we avoid having these conversations with people in need is because we don't want to get sucked into a conversation that we don't know how to get out of. Or we don't want to set up some sort of dependency relationship that might take us where we don't want to go and actually might do more damage than good. Or maybe we don't want to have to deal with someone else's crazy or crazier than our life. Or maybe we're just a die-hard, cold-hearted, hard-knuckled capitalist who thinks that people get what they deserve because they haven't worked hard enough. I, I don't know any people here who think that way, but it is alive and well in Christendom. And I'll just touch on this because we talked about it in our worship meeting this week, but I can't give it the full scope it needs. But like any of our scripture, when we really take this passage to heart, when we write it, as Jeremiah says, on our heart, so it touches every red blood cell, every breath we take, it takes on much bigger ramifications. A few years ago, someone forwarded me what a little-known prophet named Chester Ramey wrote into the Cleveland Plain Dealer in a letter to the editor. As he was reflecting on our national situation in Matthew 25, Chester wrote, when I was hungry, you cut my food stamps. When I was thirsty, you allowed my water to be polluted for corporate profit. When I was a stranger, you detained and deported me. When I was naked and vulnerable, without a job or an income, you denied me extended unemployment compensation, holding it hostage to a political agenda. When I was ill, you refused to extend Medicaid. When in prison, you denied me justice in favor of revenge, and then you executed me. And the righteous replied, when was it we saw you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, ill, or in prison? And the Son of Man will say, any time you did that to one of these, however humble, poor, and powerless, or as Eugene Peterson paraphrases it, ignored and overlooked, you did it to me. I'm aware we have many people in this congregation who live out your days living out this parable by what you've chosen to do for your work. And I know there are some of us here who might beat ourselves up because we think we don't do it enough and we want to get that list out so we can check it off. But here's another way to think about this passage from one of my favorite preachers, Barbara Brown Taylor. She says, the only way to tell if it's really Jesus is to look into the eyes to risk that moment of recognition that may break your heart or change your mind or make you mad 
or make you amend your life, whatever effect it has on you, that seems to be the one thing that sheep know how to do and goats have never tried. It's to look, to see, and to seek Christ in the least, the last, and the lost, the overlooked, and the ignored. Matthew might not agree with this, but that's a good starting place for all of us because food and drink and a welcome and a visit, those will all follow in good time. These are necessary things to live, but they, and they are not optional. But by themselves, they're just another quarter in the cup, another food card at the intersection. Because charity is no substitute for kinship. And most of us here are not called to be philanthropists or social workers, but sisters and brothers, siblings in God's family of humanity. We are called into relationship, even if it's unlikely or momentary or sad. We are called to look, to really look and see Christ, who promises to be there where our eyes meet and in that glance teach us something we need to know. So if the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the imprisoned, the sick, the unsheltered seem too overwhelming to you, this is what I invite you to try out. To remember that someone was picked last for the team in gym class and you decided to pick them first. Someone was always left out of conversations around the water cooler and you started asking their opinion. Someone was always having trouble getting their act together and you reached out and gave them a hand. Someone was always a day late and a dollar short, and you told them it was okay, you offered them a hug, and let them know they were loved. Jesus is going to show up to you this week, maybe once, maybe several times. Going to show up to me too. And the question we have to ask ourselves, do we have the courage, the hospitality to look him in the eyes and see who he really is. Amen.